0: chapter 1 part 2 of the confessions of arsène lupin this recording in the public domain the confessions of arsène lupin by maurice Leblanc. chapter 1 200000 francs reward he looked on the floor all round the corpse there was nothing to attract his attention except a little pocket mirror the little mirror with which m. Lavernoux had amused himself by making the sunbeams dance through space But suddenly, as the portress was breaking into lamentations and calling for help, Lupin flung himself on her and shook her. "'Stop that. Listen to me. You can call out later. Listen to me and answer me. It is most important. M. Lavernue had a friend living on the street, had he not? On the same side, to the right? An intimate friend?' "'Yes.' "'A friend whom he used to meet at the café in the evening, and with whom he exchanged the illustrated papers?' "'Yes.' "'Was the friend an Englishman?' yes what's his name mr hargrove where does he live at number ninety two in this street one word more had that old doctor been attending him long no i did not know him he came on the evening when m lavernue was taken ill without another word lupin dragged me away once more ran down the stairs and once in the street turned to the right which took us past my flat again four doors further he stopped at number ninety two a small low-storied house of which the ground floor was occupied by the proprietor of a dram-shop who stood smoking in his doorway next to the entrance passage lupin asked if mr hargrove was at home mr hargrove went out about half an hour ago said the publican he seemed very much excited and took a taxicab a thing he doesn't often do and you don't know where he was going "'Well, there's no secret about it. "'He shouted it loud enough. "'Prefecture of police is what he said to the driver.' Lupin was himself just hailing a taxi when he changed his mind, and I heard him mutter, "'What's the good? "'He's got too much start of us.' He asked if anyone called after Mr. Hargrove had gone. "'Yes, an old gentleman with a grey beard and spectacles. "'He went up to Mr. Hargrove's, rang the bell, and went away again. "'I'm much obliged,' said Lupin, touching his hat. He walked away slowly without speaking to me, wearing a thoughtful air. There was no doubt that the problem struck him as very difficult, and that he saw none too clearly in the darkness through which he seemed to be moving with such certainty. He himself, for that matter, confessed to me. These are cases that require much more intuition than reflection, but this one, I may tell you, is well worth taking pains about. We had now reached the boulevards. Lupin entered a public reading-room and spent a long time consulting the last fortnight's newspapers. Now and again, he mumbled, Yes, yes, of course. It's only a guess, but explains everything. Well, a guess that answers every question is not far from being the truth. It was now dark. We dined at a little restaurant, and I noticed that Lupin's face became gradually more animated. His gestures were more decided. He recovered his spirits, his liveliness when we left during the walk which he made me take along the boulevard houseman towards baron repstein's house he was the real lupin of the great occasions the lupin who had made up his mind to go in and win we slackened our pace just short of the rue de courcelles baron repstein lived on the left-hand side between this street and the faubourg saint honore in a three-storied private house of which we could see the front decorated with columns and caryatids stop said lupin suddenly what is it Another proof to confirm my supposition. What proof? I see nothing. I do. That's enough. He turned up the collar of his coat, lowered the brim of his soft hat, and said, By Jove, it'll be a stiff fight. Go to bed, my friend. I'll tell you about my expedition to-morrow, if it doesn't cost me my life. What are you talking about? Oh, I know what I'm saying. I'm risking a lot. First of all, getting arrested, which isn't much— "'Next, getting killed, which is worse. But—' He gripped my shoulder. "'But there's a third thing I'm risking, which is getting hold of two millions. And once I possess a capital of two millions, I'll show people what I can do. Good night, old chap, and if you never see me again—' He spouted Musset's lines. "'Plant a willow by my grave, the weeping willow that I love.' I walked away. Three minutes later—I am continuing the narrative as he told it to me next day— three minutes later lupin rang at the door of the hotel repstein is m le baron at home yes replied the butler examining the intruder with an air of surprise but m le baron does not see people as late as this does m le baron know of the murder of m Lavernoux, his land agent certainly well please tell m le baron that i have come about the murder and that there is not a moment to lose a voice called from above show the gentleman up antoine in obedience to this peremptory order the butler led the way to the first floor in an open doorway stood a gentleman whom lupin recognized from his photograph in the papers as baron repstein husband of the famous baroness and owner of etna the horse of the year he was an exceedingly tall square-shouldered man his clean-shaven face wore a pleasant almost smiling expression which was not affected by the sadness of his eyes he was dressed in a well-cut morning coat with a tan waistcoat and a dark tie fastened with a pearl pin, the value of which struck lupin as considerable. He took lupin into his study, a large three-windowed room lined with bookcases, sets of pigeon-holes, an American desk and a safe. And he at once asked with ill-concealed eagerness, Do you know anything? Yes, monsieur le baron. About the murder of that poor Lavernoux? Yes, monsieur le baron, and about madame la baronne also do you really mean it quick i entreat you he pushed forward a chair lupin sat down and began monsieur le baron the circumstances are very serious i will be brief yes do please well monsieur le baron in a few words it amounts to this five or six hours ago lavernoux who for the last fortnight had been kept in a sort of enforced confinement by his doctor lavernoux how shall i put it telegraphed certain revelations by means of signals which were partly taken down by me and which put me on the track of this case he himself was surprised in the act of making this communication and was murdered but by whom by whom by his doctor who is this doctor i don't know but one of m lavernoux's friends an englishman called hargrove the friend in fact with whom he was communicating is bound to know, and is also bound to know the exact and complete meaning of the communication, because without waiting for the end he jumped into a motor-cab and drove to the Prefecture of Police. Why? Why? And what is the result of that step? The result, Monsieur Le Baron, is that your house is surrounded. There are twelve detectives under your windows. The moment the sun rises they will enter in the name of the law and arrest the criminal. Then is Lavernoux's murderer concealed in my house? Who is he? One of the servants? but no, for you were speaking of a doctor. I would remark, Monsieur le Baron, that when this Mr. Hargrove went to the police to tell them of the revelations made by his friend Lavernoux, he was not aware that his friend Lavernoux was going to be murdered. The step taken by Mr. Hargrove had to do with something else. With what? With the disappearance of Madame la Baronne, of which he knew the secret, thanks to the communication made by Lavernoux. What? They know at last! They have found the baroness! Where is she? And the jewels! And the money she robbed me of!' Baron Repstein was talking in a great state of excitement. He rose, and almost shouting at Lupin, cried, "'Finish your story, sir! I can't endure this suspense!' Lupin continued in a slow and hesitating voice. "'The fact is—' You see, it is rather difficult to explain, for you and I are looking at the thing from a totally different point of view.' don't understand. And yet you ought to understand, Monsieur le Baron. We begin by saying—I'm quoting the newspapers—by saying, do we not, that Baroness Repstein knew all the secrets of your business, and that she was able to open not only that safe over there, but also the one at the Crédit Lyonnais in which you kept your securities locked up? Yes? Well, one evening a fortnight ago, while you were at your club— "'Baroness Repstein, who, unknown to yourself, had converted all those securities into cash, "'left this house with a travelling-bag containing your money and all the Princesse de Berny's jewels?' "'Yes?' "'And since then she has not been seen?' "'No?' "'Well, there is an excellent reason why she has not been seen.' "'What reason?' "'This, that Baroness Repstein has been murdered.' "'Murdered? "'The Baroness?' you're mad. Murdered, and probably that same evening. I tell you again, you are mad. How can the baroness have been murdered when the police are following her tracks, so to speak, step by step? They are following the tracks of another woman. What woman? The murderer's accomplice. And who is the murderer? The same man who, for the last fortnight, knowing that Lavernue, through the situation which he occupied in this house, had discovered the truth, kept him imprisoned forced him to silence, threatened him, terrorized him. The same man who, finding Lavernue in the act of communicating with a friend, made away with him in cold blood by stabbing him to the heart. The doctor, therefore? Yes. But who is this doctor, who is this malevolent genius, this infernal being who appears and disappears, who slays in the dark and whom nobody suspects? Can't you guess? No. And do you want to know? do i want to know why speak man speak you know where he is hiding yes in this house yes and it is he whom the police are after yes and i know him yes who is it you i lupin had not been more than ten minutes with the baron and the duel was commencing the accusation was hurled definitely violently implacably lupin repeated you yourself got up in a false beard and a pair of spectacles bent in two like an old man in short you baron Repstein, and it is you for a very good reason of which nobody has thought which is that if it was not you who contrived the whole plot the case becomes inexplicable whereas taking you as the criminal you as murdering the baroness in order to get rid of her and run through those millions with another woman you as murdering lavernoux your agent in order to suppress an unimpeachable witness oh then the whole case is explained well is it pretty clear and are not you yourself convinced the baron who throughout this conversation had stood bending over his visitor waiting for each of his words with feverish avidity now drew himself up and looked at lupin as though he undoubtedly had to do with a madman when lupin had finished speaking the baron stepped back two or three paces seemed on the point of uttering words, which he ended by not saying, and then, without taking his eyes from his strange visitor, went to the fireplace and rang the bell. Lupin did not make a movement. He waited, smiling. The butler entered. His master said, "'You can go to bed, Antoine. I will let this gentleman out. "'Shall I put out the light, sir? Leave a light in the hall.' Antoine left the room, and the baron, after taking a revolver from his desk, at once came back to Lupin put the weapon in his pocket, and said, very calmly, "'You must excuse this little precaution, sir. I am obliged to take it in case you should be mad, though that does not seem likely. "'No, you are not mad, but you have come here with an object which I fail to grasp, and you have sprung upon me an accusation of so astounding a character that I am curious to know the reason. I have experienced so much disappointment and undergone so much suffering that an outrage of this kind leaves me indifferent. "'Continue, please.' His voice shook with emotion, and his sad eyes seemed moist with tears. Lupin shuddered. Had he made a mistake? Was the surmise which his intuition had suggested to him, and which was based upon a frail groundwork of slight facts, was this surmise wrong? His attention was caught by a detail. Through the opening in the Baron's waistcoat he saw the point of the pin fixed in the tie, and was thus able to realize the unusual length of the pin. Moreover, the gold stem was triangular, and formed a sort of miniature dagger, very thin and very delicate, yet formidable in an expert hand. And Dupin had no doubt but that the pin attached to that magnificent pearl was the weapon which had pierced the heart of the unfortunate M. lavernoux He muttered, "'You are jolly clever, Monsieur Le Baron.' the other maintaining a rather scornful gravity kept silence as though he did not understand and as though waiting for the explanation to which he felt himself entitled and in spite of everything this impassive attitude worried Lupin. nevertheless his conviction was so profound and besides he had staked so much on the adventure that he repeated yes jolly clever for it is evident that the baroness only obeyed your orders in realising your securities and also in borrowing the princess's jewels on the pretense of buying them. And it is evident that the person who walked out of your house with a bag was not your wife, but an accomplice, that chorus-girl, probably, and that it is your chorus-girl who is deliberately allowing herself to be chased across the continent by our worthy Ganimard. I look upon the trick as marvellous. What does the woman risk, seeing that it is the baroness who is being looked for? And how could they look for any other woman than the baroness, seeing that you have promised a reward of two hundred thousand francs to the person who finds the baroness oh that two hundred thousand francs lodged with a solicitor what a stroke of genius it has dazzled the police it has thrown dust in the eyes of the most clear-sighted a gentleman who lodges two hundred thousand francs with a solicitor is a gentleman who speaks the truth so they go on hunting the baroness and they leave you quietly to settle your affairs to sell your stud and your two houses to the highest bidder and to prepare your flight. Heavens, what a joke! The baron did not wince. He walked up to Lupin and asked, without abandoning his imperturbable coolness, "'Who are you?' Lupin burst out laughing. (laughs) "'What can it matter who I am? Take it that I am an emissary of fate, looming out of the darkness for your destruction.' He sprang from his chair, seized the baron by the shoulder, and jerked out. "'Yes, for your destruction, my bold baron. Listen to me. Your wife's three millions, almost all the princess's jewels, the money you received to-day from the sale of your stud and your real estate, it's all there in your pocket or in that safe. Your flight is prepared. Look, I can see the leather of your portmanteau behind that hanging. The papers on your desk are in order. This very night you would have done a guy.' this very night disguised beyond recognition after taking all your precautions you would have joined your chorus girl the creature for whose sake you have committed murder that same nelly darbell no doubt whom ganimard arrested in belgium but for one sudden unforeseen obstacle the police the twelve detectives who thanks to lavernue's revelations have been posted under your windows they've cooked your goose old chap well i'll save you A word through the telephone, and by three or four o'clock in the morning twenty of my friends will have removed the obstacle, polished off the twelve detectives, and you and I will slip away quietly. My conditions? Almost nothing. A trifle to you. We share the millions and the jewels. Is it a bargain?' He was leaning over the Baron, thundering at him with irresistible energy. The Baron whispered, "'I'm beginning to understand. It's blackmail blackmail or not call it what you please my boy but you've got to go through with it and do as i say and don't imagine that i shall give way at the last moment don't say to yourself here's a gentleman whom the fear of the police will cause to think twice if i run a big risk in refusing he also will be risking the handcuffs the cells and the rest of it seeing that we are both being hunted down like wild beasts that would be a mistake monsieur le baron i can always get out of it it's a question of yourself of yourself alone. Your money or your life, my lord. Share and share alike. If not, the scaffold. Is it a bargain?" A quick movement. The baron released himself, grasped his revolver, and fired. But Lupin was prepared for the attack. The more so as the baron's face had lost its assurance, and gradually, under the slow impulse of rage and fear, acquired an expression of almost bestial ferocity that heralded the rebellion so long kept under control. He fired twice. Lupin first flung himself to one side, and then dived at the baron's knees, seized him by both legs, and brought him to the ground. The baron freed himself with an effort. The two enemies rolled over in each other's grip, and a stubborn, crafty, brutal, savage struggle followed. Suddenly Lupin felt a pain at his chest. (sighs) he yelled, "'That's your level new trick, the tie-pin!' Stiffening his muscles with a desperate effort, he overpowered the baron and clutched him by the throat, victorious at last and omnipotent. "'You ass!' he cried. "'If you hadn't shown your cards, I might have thrown up the game. You have such a look of the honest man about you. But what a biceps, my lord! I thought for a moment—' "'But it's all over now. Come, my friend, hand us the pin and look cheerful.' no that's what i call pulling a face i'm holding you too tight perhaps my lord's at his last gasp come be good that's it just a wee bit of string round the wrists do you allow me why you and i are agreeing like two brothers it's touching at heart you know i'm rather fond of you and now my bonny lad mind yourself and a thousand apologies half raising himself with all his strength he caught the other a terrible blow in the pit of the stomach The baron gave a gurgle and lay stunned and unconscious. "'That comes of having a deficient sense of logic, my friend,' said Lupin. "'I offered you half your money. Now I'll give you none at all, provided I know where to find any of it. For that's the main thing. Where has the beggar hidden his dust? In the safe? By George, it'll be a tough job. Luckily I have all the night before me.' He began to feel in the baron's pockets— came upon a bunch of keys, first made sure that the portmanteau behind the curtain held no papers or jewels, and then went to the safe. But at that moment he stopped short. He heard a noise somewhere. The servants? Impossible. Their attics were on the top floor. He listened. The noise came from below. And suddenly he understood. The detectives who had heard the two shots were banging at the front door, as was their duty, without waiting for daybreak. Then an electric bell rang, which Lupin recognized as that in the hall. "'By Jupiter!' he said. "'Pretty work! Here are these jokers coming. And just as we were about to gather the fruits of our laborious efforts—' "'Tut-tut, Lupin, keep cool. What's expected of you? To open a safe of which you don't know the secret, in thirty seconds? That's a mere trifle to lose your head about. Come, all you have to do is to discover the secret. How many letters are there in the word? Four. He went on thinking, while talking and listening to the noise outside. He double-locked the door of the outer room and then came back to the safe. Four ciphers, four letters! Four letters! Who can lend me a hand? Who can give me just a tiny hint? Who? Why, Lavernoux, of course, that good Lavernoux, seeing that he took the trouble to indulge in optical telegraphy at the risk of his life. Lord, what a fool I am! Why, of course! Why, of course! That's it! Joe, this is too exciting. Lupin, you must count ten and suppress that distracted beating of your heart. If not, it means bad work. He counted ten and, now quite calm, knelt in front of the safe. He turned the four knobs with careful attention. Next he examined the bunch of keys, selected one of them, then another, and attempted in vain to insert them in the lock. "'There's luck in odd numbers,' he muttered, trying a third key. "'Victory! This is the right one!' "'Open, Sesame! Good old Sesame! Open!' The lock turned. The door moved on its hinges. Lupin pulled it to him after taking up the bunch of keys. "'The millions are ours,' he said. "'Baron, I forgive you.' And then he gave a single bound backward, hiccuping with fright. His legs staggered beneath him. The keys jingled together in his fevered hand with a sinister sound. And for twenty... For thirty seconds, despite the din that was being raised, and the electric bells that kept ringing through the house, he stood there, wild-eyed, gazing at the most horrible, the most abominable sight. A woman's body, half-dressed, bent in two in the safe, crammed in like an over-large parcel, and fair hair hanging down, and blood, clots of blood, and livid flesh, blue in places, decomposing, flaccid. The Baroness! he gasped. The baroness! Oh, the monster! He roused himself from his torpor suddenly to spit in the murderer's face and pound him with his heels. Take that, you wretch! Take that, you villain! And with it, the scaffold, the bran-basket! Meanwhile shouts came from the upper floors in reply to the detective's ringing. Lupin heard footsteps scurrying down the stairs. It was time to think of beating a retreat. In reality this did not trouble him greatly. During his conversation with the Baron the enemy's extraordinary coolness had given him the feeling that there must be a private outlet. Besides, how could the Baron have begun the fight if he were not sure of escaping the police? Lupin went into the next room. It looked out on the garden. At the moment when the detectives were entering the house he flung his legs over the balcony and let himself down by a rain-pipe. He walked round the building. On the opposite side was a wall lined with shrubs. He slipped in between the shrubs and the wall, and at once found a little door which he easily opened with one of the keys on the bunch. All that remained for him to do was to walk across a yard and pass through the empty rooms of a lodge, and in a few moments he found himself in the Rue du Faubourg-Saint-Honoré. Of course, and this he had reckoned on, the police had not provided for this secret outlet. "'Well, what do you think of Baron Repstein?' cried Lupin, after giving me all the details of that tragic night. What a dirty scoundrel! And how it teaches one to distrust appearances. I swear to you, the fellow looked a thoroughly honest man. But what about the millions? I asked. The Princess's jewels. They were in the safe. I remember seeing the parcel. Well, they are there still. Impossible! They are, upon my word. I might tell you that I was afraid of the detectives, or else plead a sudden attack of delicacy. But the truth is simpler, and more prosaic. The smell was too awful. What? Yes, my dear fellow, the smell that came from that safe, from that coffin. No, I couldn't do it. My head swam. Another second and I should have been ill. Isn't that silly? (laughs) Isn't it silly? Look, this is all I got from my expedition, the tie-pin. The bedrock value of the pearl is thirty thousand francs but all the same I feel jolly well annoyed. What a cell! One more question, I said. The word that opened the safe. Well? How did you guess it? Oh, quite easily. In fact, I am surprised that I didn't think of it sooner. Well, tell me. It was contained in the revelations telegraphed by that poor L'Avonneux. What? Just think, my dear chap, the mistakes in spelling. The mistakes in spelling. Why, of course, they were deliberate. Surely you don't imagine that the agent, the private secretary of the baron, who was a company promoter, mind you, and a racing man, did not know English better than to spell necessary with an E, attack with one T, enemy with two Ns, and prudence with an A. The thing struck me at once. I put the four letters together and got Etna, the name of the famous horse. And was that one word enough? Of course. It was enough to start with to put me on the scent of the Repstein case, of which all the papers were full, and next to make me guess that it was the key word of the safe, because on the one hand Lavernue knew the gruesome contents of the safe, and on the other he was denouncing the baron. And it was in the same way that I was led to suppose that Lavernue had a friend in the street, that they both frequented the same café, that they amused themselves by working out the problems and cryptograms in the illustrated papers, and that they had contrived a way of exchanging telegrams from window to window. "'That makes it all quite simple!' I exclaimed. "'Very simple, and the incident once more shows that, in the discovery of crimes, there is something much more valuable than the examination of facts, than observations, deductions, inferences, and all that stuff and nonsense. What I mean is, as I said before, intuition, intuition and intelligence, and Arsène Lupin, without boasting, is deficient in neither one nor the other.'" End of chapter 1 End of section 2.